0: Hello friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. Our purpose is to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. And we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. We're working our way through First Timothy in our current series, Behave Yourself. Now let's jump in and hear what Kurt has to say. Welcome back everybody. Thanks for joining us again here on the Everyday Truth podcast. Uh, So grateful for your faithfulness to the Lord and to his word. We have been in a kind of a bogged down section. Now, I don't say that derogatorily. I say that uh, just observationally. It's, it's been a, a section where we've had to pay attention to individual terms and lists. But uh, I think it's been helpful, at least I hope it has. And we're going to wind up the chapter today. And th- the verses that we're going to read today and consider are just absolutely imperative uh, to Christian doctrine, and there are much Balihood verses, uh, even among some cult groups, and so it's important that we understand what they say, what they mean, and how they would apply to our lives and to our churches. So uh, stay tuned uh, today in a close way, because we're going to discuss these uh, last three verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3. So let me grab my Bible, which is out of reach. One moment. There we go. <laughs> And uh, we are in uh, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 14, where the Bible says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. I I love how the Word of God has this, just this personal feel. Uh, This is a man writing his protege. This is a mentor writing his mentee. And we can get into all this doctrine and sometimes forget What's happening here? What's happening here is mentorship is happening. And Paul just inserts here, hey, I'm writing you, Timothy, but I, I, I hope to be there in person shortly. And I, and I
1: also love these things, Pastor, where we see the heart of Paul here, where Paul does really love Timothy. He wants to be with him to help continue to help him as he serves Jesus Christ. And this is just a great little personal vignette thrown in here to help us understand the, you know, the personality
0: of Paul as he did mentor Timothy. So he wanted to come and be there with him, but watch the contrast in verse 15. But but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. So I've said it this way before, I'm glad that Paul got delayed because um, because it was in that delay that he gave us some of this information. It was in that delay that the Apostle Paul said, hey, I really want you to know this stuff now. If if Paul had previously been able to go see Timothy, you know, this would have been lost. Obviously, we know God was in control. But the point here is that the information that Paul is sharing is so important that it couldn't wait. That's the point of 1 Timothy, that this information and that upon which Timothy was to act was so important that Paul said, I can't wait, even though I expect to be there shortly. And I
1: love how Paul shows us the necessity of being proactive, uh, realizing the seriousness of what needs to be delivered. And it reminds us in a, in a more general way, in discipleship in general, of the priority of mentoring people, of being proactive and teaching people that they
0: might grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's a really good point as well, that there is there needs to be a certain urgency and proactivity to our willingness to engage in discipleship. So again, verse 15, if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. So there's our theme. We've, we've called the theme of, the, of this book, behave yourself. And there's where we get our theme from, behave thyself in the house of God. So God expects for us not to just be attenders of our local assemblies. God expects for us to engage in ministry under the auspices of, under the authority of, our local church.
1: And I love the idea that Paul gives Timothy here, that there is a certain way to conduct yourself. It's not not a free-for-all. You know, sometimes we have the mentality, in, in some modern circles today, that church can be whatever you want it to be. You know, make church how you want it to be but but god does lay out here some very practical ways that church ought be done as far as the bishops the deacons how the man of god should behave himself and so what paul is telling timothy bears upon us today we have to remember all these characteristics as we serve god today in his body his local body
0: of jesus christ and think about what we've learned already about local church behavior in chapter 1 we we've learned that uh, we should not tolerate false teaching In chapter 1, we've already learned that we ought to be uh, propagators of the gospel, teach the Word of God in such a way that it points to Jesus. Uh, We ought to be people of prayer. Uh, Church ought to be a place where we know that we're looking for people to be saved and praying for people to be saved. It ought to be a place where the men are known as people of prayer. Uh, Women are known as those that understand their God-given role, and they play their role humbly to the glory of God. A church ought to be a place where uh, godly pastors and deacons lead as unto the Lord. So we're learning a whole lot about what a church ought to look like and how it ought to function. And as you talk through these areas,
1: Pastor, it reminds me that the authoritative Word of God is what critiques the church. The the word of God shows the church where the church ought be. The church does not go to the Bible and say, well, here's what the Bible needs to be for us today. No, the Bible tells us, here's what God says. Here's what we ought to do. And if we're not faithfully living out the word of God, then we're not behaving ourselves right in the church of God.
0: Yeah. And Paul uses the term here, the house of God, but then quickly tells us what he means, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So a, a pillar and a foundation. So a foundation is what holds the, the, the building up. If a building has a, a, a roof or a, 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 another story, then there are going to be pillars that are foundationed in the foundation. So what holds the building up? The pillar, the foundations, and the pillar. And the Bible says that's the job of the church. The job of the church is to be the repository the depository of the truth of God's
1: word. You know as I think also as I've applied this in the past sometimes pastor I think of the, a pillar and when I think of pillars, my mind automatically goes to like a, a Greek architecture back in the day when these tall pillars held the roof way up high. you know they look it was quite an event to see all of these tall pillars and what they held high. I've applied this as well sometimes in my life that the pillar holds things up. And so just to make application my life ought to be holding high the word of
0: God so that people can see the word of God in my life. Right. And and it's the church that ought to be known for that. The church ought to be known as the place where the truth is guarded, mm-hmm. where the truth is propagated, where the truth is valued. And uh, you might be looking for a church today, my friends, and you're wondering, well, you know, where should I go? That church is cool. That church really is attractive to me. I really like the music there. The people over there were friendly. I, and I'm not saying that any of those things should not be part of our thinking or our conversation, but at the end of the day, the non-negotiable in a church is, does this church guard and propagate? And by the way, we guard by propagating. The, the truth of God's word, because that's what the church is. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. And, you know, I mentioned a moment ago how the Bible does critique
1: the church, which is true. We do find also that the Bible and the church have relationship, whereas Paul points out here, the church is the guardian of the truth. And I think of how God inspired his apostles and prophets to write down the Word of God. Uh, God used the church to recognize what books were authoritative by God. The church did not give authority to the Word of God, but the church recognized what was authoritative of God. And the church today, as you mentioned, Pastor, must continue to uphold the truth. That has been a theme throughout church history. A true church of God will have the right relationship with the truth, will live it out,
0: and will proclaim it. The last verse of chapter 3 is one of the greatest doctrinal affirmations of the person of christ and think about the context here the church of the living god is the pillar and ground of the truth and we know that truth is best defined as the embodiment of jesus christ i am the way the truth and the life so what truth do we guard most fastidiously well look at verse 16 and without controversy. So <laughs> Paul's point here is there, there should be no debate about this. Th- this is irrefutable. And what's interesting, John, is that there's great debate about this. What, what, what ought to be a given in local churches in Christianity is not a given. And people argue about the very things that Paul said should be absolutely without controversy. Yeah, you know,
1: that's just the way Satan works and has worked throughout church history, where he takes things that are the foundational bedrock of Christianity. If you don't have this, you don't have Christianity. And he has splintered off cults, people who have division in the church, because they're trying to argue this point, which is so
0: clear in the Word of God. Yeah, Satan doesn't try to—Satan's Satan's a smart lumberjack, you know, he doesn't go into a forest and start chopping off branches or ripping down leaves. He could care less. Man, he's going to take the chainsaw right to the trunk of the tree. He wants to go right down to the root level. And that's what's happening here because these are root level issues. Look at verse number 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Great, Remember we said mystery is a truth that previously was unknown but now is known, well, what, is the, what is the great truth about godliness? What is the great truth upon which we foundation our very faith? Well, the Bible tells us here, God was manifest in the flesh. So the great truth is the, the logos, the fact that God revealed himself in the person of Jesus, the express image of God jesus christ god in the flesh the only way we can understand god is because god made himself understandable in the person of jesus
1: and that was something that you know a lot of people did not understand clearly even in jesus own time even even the disciples around him did not always clearly understand all that it meant that jesus christ was the messiah god himself came in the flesh 100 percent man 100 god that the same person jesus christ that was something that we now, we know now so well, but that was often difficult for people to
0: comprehend that early on. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the truth upon which we stand. God was manifest in the flesh, not as the New World translation, which is the Jehovah's Witness Bible, says, He who is manifest in the flesh. They just deny all manuscript evidence and change it. Why? Because they don't they because they, they don't believe that Jesus is God and they have to try to remove every reference in the Bible that indicates it, which is all throughout the Bible. John 1 and John 20 and First Timothy 3, and we could go to many other passages as well, Titus 2 and so on. Look at verse number 16. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Not not justified in the sense that he needed to be saved or made right, uh, but the fact that vindicate, in other words, validated by the spirit. The spirit of God came and lit upon him at his Uh, at his baptism. The Spirit of God uh, is the validator of all that Jesus taught, and he's a reminder of all the things that Jesus gave to his uh, disciples. So God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the Spirit, seen of angels. So um, part of the validation of the ministry of Jesus is his authenticity in the unseen world, uh, preached unto the Gentiles, So now we get practical, John. So we we talk about the person of Christ in his manifestation, in his validation by the Spirit, in being seen of angels. But now we talk about a little bit of the practicality of it preached unto the Gentiles. Without doubt, as you already mentioned, Pastor, the, the great mystery that people did not comprehend
1: was that Jesus Christ, God himself would come and be manifest in the flesh, as you quoted John 1, 14, something else people didn't understand. And Paul makes a great point in this Ephesians particularly is that people didn't understand that Jews and Gentiles would be one in Jesus Christ and that the God who came was manifest in the flesh was not just the Messiah for the Jews. He was also the Messiah for the Gentiles and the early church wrestled with this, you know, what will we do with this? And so obviously we saw this before how that God appointed Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, but Paul knew very well that God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was the God of the Jews and the Gentiles, and Paul has had the privilege to preach him to the Gentiles.
0: Yes, and it seems as if every gospel writer and every epistle writer came back to this point. Mm-hmm. He came unto his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So he was preached, on, preached unto the Gentiles, but beyond that, he was believed on mm-hmm. in the world. Not only was he preached to these Gentiles, to the uttermost part of the world, but they believed on him. There's a great host of believers on Jesus. And then the Bible finally says, received up into glory. So there we see a little snippet of, a little harbinger of the, the future of Christ as our king, as our, uh, as our eternal God, as the one who will come back and receive us unto himself, as the one with whom we'll rule and reign, as the King of kings and Lord of lords.
1: And as Paul talks about this received up in the glory reminds me of the great hope that we have, as Jesus talks about in John 14 to his apostles there, but that someday we will be with Christ. We will see Jesus Christ. We will be like Him. We will see Him as He is. And what great truth we have. There's so much rolled into these last two verses of chapter three. We could we could spend many episodes on these two verses alone. Yeah,
0: I feel badly that we've just kind of skinned the surface. But for the for the sake of this podcast, one of the purposes is just to kind of light your fire. Uh, to get you excited about maybe doing a deeper dive on some of these verses because this is one of them. Uh, You will not go wrong going back and just mulling over and studying deeper uh, all six of these because they are just bedrock to our faith. Well, I do hope you have a great day today. Thank you for joining us. Looking forward to jumping into chapter number four next episode. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If everyday truth matters to you, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.